very rarely do we preach actually on the Psalms, but I'm looking forward to these four weeks uh, to be able to preach and teach through these with you. So Psalm 16 uh, is the Psalm this morning. I invite you to hear these words. Protect me, God, because I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have nothing good. Now as for the holy ones in the land, the magnificent ones that I was so happy about, let their suffering increase because they hurried after a different God. I won't participate in their blood offerings. I won't let their names cross my lips. You, Lord, are my portion, my cup. You control my destiny. The property lines have fallen beautifully for me. Yes, I have a lovely home. I will bless the Lord who advises me. Even at night, I am instructed in the depths of my mind. I always put the Lord in front of me. I will not stumble because he is on my right side. That's why my heart celebrates and my mood is joyous. Yes, my whole body will rest in safety because you won't abandon my life to the grave. You won't let your faithful followers see the pit. You teach me the way of life. In your presence is total celebration. Beautiful things are always in your right hand. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was in the fourth grade, and Mr. Richard and Miss Janine, my children's church teachers, gave us a challenge. They said, if you can memorize all of Psalm 1, we will take you out to lunch after worship. And so my friend Mark and I, we had a plan, because everyone else was choosing places like McDonald's. And we were highfalutin in those days. And so we wanted to go. Uh, in the Midwest, we had a chain at the time called the Old Country Buffet, uh, equivalent to the Golden Corral. And we thought that was high living, was to go to the Old Country Buffet. And so we made a deal with them that we would get to go there if we memorized Psalm 1. And if you still know me, um, the same type of practice of motivating me with a meal uh, applies uh, many years later. And so so I remember, and, and, and so Mark and I would rem, re, we'd remind ourselves, and we were one of the first ones in the class to say, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners, nor stand in the way of scoffers, nor sit in the seat of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And I remember these words because the buffet motiv motivated me um, uh, to this day. I remember being in my first year of college, my freshman year, and moving away from home, being in a different setting like many of us have when going into college. And I remember sitting in my dorm room and memorizing these words, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. Those words of Psalm 63 resonated deep within me during that first year of college. I remember 
before going to work the summer between when I was in college and seminary, sitting in my backyard of my parents' house and memorizing these words of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My tears have been my food day and night. When will I see God's face? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and see God's face? Those words resonated deep within me. I'll remember one of my summer internships in seminary. And the appointed lectionary psalm for that day was Psalm 130. And standing before that wonderful congregation in Clinton, Mississippi, out of the depths I cry to you, the psalmist began, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, would mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. Friends, the words of the psalms are transformative. They are transformative. When we regularly pray the psalms, their words come to us when we need them. When we regularly make a practice and a habit of praying these ancient words in the psalms, these words that express the entirety, the entirety of human emotion and bring it before God, they can give language to the deepest longings of our hearts. So that's part of my hope and prayer as we talk about these psalms is honestly that you would begin to make them your prayers. Because there are times when we don't have the right words to say. I know sometimes I come before God, I'm like, I, I, my words seem weak, but then we have this language that's been, that, that the people of God have been praying for like 2,500 years, the language that was good enough for Jesus to pray, to scream from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me from Psalm 22? Like, we have, we have the words here already. The Psalms, right, are poems, and they still speak powerfully today, even though we don't have the original Hebrew. Not many of us are reading uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, I don't think, right, or, or, or chanting them in Hebrew when we get home. Even though we don't have that, and we don't have the virtue of, like, rhyme that was in Hebrew and things like that, that doesn't translate into English, we still have one of the best forms of poetry that holds, and that is something called parallelism, all right? I'm not going to go all English teacher on you, but when you have parallelism, what you have is one line, and then a second line that accentuates it, or helps you remember that, or, or, or gives you another depth into it. For instance, in verse 8 of Psalm 16 we read today, I always put the Lord in front of me. I will not stumble because he is on my right side. Right? Now, is the psalmist confused about God's position, whether he's in front or on the right side? No. Right? The point, the point of the psalm, the point of the poet is to say, God's presence is with me. God is steadfast. And when I place my trust in that God, then I know that God is right on my right side all of the time. The Psalms speak to our real human experience. That's why I've called this series Fully Human. From the greatest joys, our psalm closes today, right? In your presence is total celebration. Like you can't get much higher the, of highs than in your presence is total celebration. To the lowest of lows, like I shared with you from Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. 
the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, sometimes within the same poem, right? Which, if sometimes you feel all of those things, well, then the Psalms make a lot of sense to you. Psalm 16 is a psalm that we would call often a psalm of praise. It celebrates joyfully, especially at the end, right? What is great about the psalms, though, is that the psalm doesn't just start on a high note and stay there the whole time. There are a few psalms that do that, or a few psalms that start on a real low note and don't get very high, and they stay pretty low the whole time. But most psalms set a far more realistic tone about human life and existence. So with this one, right, the psalmist begins with a posture of trust. He seemingly needs to trust because he's in danger. Protect me, God, he begins, because I take refuge in you. Now that word refuge is going to get used all throughout the Psalter. Refuge, safe place, hiding place. It reminds us of comfort, of shelter, of safety. In, d- in different metaphors, God's, God's even going to be compared to a mother bird, right? Who's sheltering her young. And then the psalmist continues to say, you, Lord, you, Lord, are my portion and my cup. You, Lord, are my portion and my cup. I have nothing that is good apart from you, O God. The psalmist is reminded that his trust is reliable upon God because God is reliable. God can be everything to him, that everything he has that is good As Paul will later reflect on that everything good comes from the father of lights who delights in his children. Everything good that he has is a gift from God. There's a trust that the psalmist expresses of having enough with God of everything that I need. And from this posture of trust, it leads the psalmist into praise. It leads him into praise, right? And praise is simply in worship terms, telling God who God is. And the psalmist praises God because God is trustworthy. In verse 7, I will bless the Lord who advises me. Even at night I am instructed in the depths of my mind. I always put the Lord in front of me. I will not stumble because he is on my right side. The psalmist praises God because he can put his trust in. In him, because God's word is always good. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Meditations on the Psalms. It's not one of his most well known books, but I pulled it off my shelf this week and refreshed it a little bit, and it meant a lot reading Lewis's reflections, and especially some of C.S. Lewis's great struggles with the Psalms. In fact, he struggled with this idea that in the, in the Psalter all of the time, we are told, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and, and he said, does God really need our praise? It makes him sound like a childish dictator saying, praise me, or something like that, and Lewis struggles with that. And in, in light of that, I read this piece from Augustine that he wrote in the fourth century. And Augustine said this, God does not derive any benefit from our worship, but we do. When he reveals or teaches how he is to be worshiped, he does so in our own highest interest with absolutely no need of anything for himself. I thought that answered Lewis's quandary with it pretty well. In other words, 
when we worship God, it's not like God can go any higher or get any greater, but rather when we worship God, it is for our own benefit that God gives us those directions. It is actually because it reminds us who we are. It places us in proper position before our creator. So God doesn't need our praise, but what if instead we need to praise God? This seems to be the heartbeat of the Psalms over and over. It's like the psalmists keep telling us, they keep whispering to each other, they keep bumping you and saying, hey, listen, isn't God great? It's like when someone finds out about a new restaurant or a new band or a new TV show and, and, they, and they tell you about it and they say, you have to watch this and you've seen them a few times and they keep telling you that over and over and eventually you check it out. The psalmists are doing that, but not, but not about something trivial. They're doing it about the very personhood, the very character of God. Isn't God great? They keep inviting us to join their praise. C.S. Lewis compares it to this. He says, it is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. Their delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Their delight is incomplete until it is expressed. In other words, when I tell my wife today on Mother's Day, which I, already, I know it's Mother's Day, so that's good, making it, making it, doing well, that she is beautiful, which I will tell her multiple times today and every day. She knows that I think that, right? Like, she, she gets it that I think she is beautiful. But it is because there is something that has to be said in order for that to be fulfilled, is what Lewis is saying. When comparing it to God, when comparing it to the Psalms, he says, we cannot hold in our praise. We need to let it out. And the Psalms give us a vehicle to do that. Now, we Methodists, right, we don't do too good at this area about holding in and holding back our praise. We could learn a little bit from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters or from the African-American church experience a little bit more because sometimes we're kind of weak at this. Like, it seems like we're holding it back all the stinking time. And so sometimes, sometimes we got to let go and just praise. Sometimes, sometimes the psalmist reminds us we need to open up a little bit and allow ourselves to fully praise God. And when we praise, the psalmist teaches us, it leads us into joy. He says, that's why my heart celebrates and my mood is joyous. Yes, my whole body will rest in safety because you won't abandon my life to the grave. You won't let your faithful follower see the pit. The refuge that the psalmist took in God is real. He had been protected by God, protected the whole way along. Does this psalm mean that he is saying that life is perfect? Is the psalmist in Psalm 16 just ignoring hard things? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so, and that's why we have the whole of the Psalter. There are psalms that are far more angry, far more rage-filled, and we'll get to those in coming weeks. But in this moment, he is focusing on the constancy and faithfulness of God. Friends, in many ways, we live in a joy-deprived society. When my family was at Disney World in February, um, my daughter and, and her cousin, they started playing a game with each other. And 
the thing is, the way they've made it isn't like everyone's in a massive hurry, maybe even worse, because there's like an app that you can check now, which someone in Disney World was creating with someone in the pit of hell at the same time. And so there's an app that, that you check your wait times and things like this. And, and it, it, it's really awful. But anyway, but, but Disney World's great and it's fun. And, but, but they started playing this game where they would count how many people they could see that were smiling as they walked around. And let's just say they rarely got to where they could hold up two hands with people smiling. Y'all, that's a lot of money to be spent to not smile, right? Like, a lot. Um, and, and it was, it was I, I was reminded, I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that sometime. And, and it came up this week while I was thinking about it. Um, but they literally saw the joy-stricken society that existed while they were in the happiest place on earth. C.S. Lewis wrote that joy naturally overflows into praise. And when thinking about this, he says praise actually like, there's opportunities to praise everywhere. He wasn't just talking about God, he was talking about praising kind of anything. And he says, he says that the most joyful and the most humble people he knows are the people who simply praise the most. And then he said, and as only 1940s English could do, the cranks and the malcontents he knows praise the least. They offer the least praise. And then he said this, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. And so the psalmist then, the psalmist who trusts in God and takes refuge in him, that moves him to praise who God is, it moves into an explosion of joy. So he can say, you teach me the way of life. In your presence is total celebration. Beautiful things are always in your right hand. Friends, when I read the Psalms, they make me long for the presence of God like this. That's why I can go back to those ones that I showed you early in the service, not to say, isn't that cool that the pastor memorized some psalms someday, but no, to say, I literally, there is a time and a place that I associate with these words, and when I need that type of thing in my relationship with God, when I'm in a position of doubt, I know which one to go to. When I'm in a position where it feels dry in relationship with God, I know which one to come back to. And it's not just me who does it, it's the Spirit who reminds us through the living Word of God. That's why we have this prayer book already right in the center of our Bible. C.S. Lewis says that the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. The Psalms help us to express a delight, a joy in God that sometimes we don't even have the words for, that sometimes, frankly, we don't feel because we are surrounded, because we are surrounded by a culture that is bereft of joy. And yet, and yet the psalmist calls us back to this place of joy. A place of joy. Friends, that should be as people of God where we operate, where we live out of. Not an ignoring of things that are awful, but rather a complete trust in God's presence in the midst of all of the things that leads us to places of joy. So I invite you to follow in, to participate in this movement of the psalmist that leads from trust to praise to joy. 
And friends, I invite you to enter in to the prayers of the Psalms as you read them, to enter in to those great prayers and to let them transform you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.